0: Jeremiah chapter 29 is where we're at this morning. This week we're continuing on with our sermon series, You Asked It, and so we're looking at questions that were submitted by members of the congregation. This morning we're turning our attention to a question that was asked, the comment slash question that was said, we are often told God has a great plan for you. How do we know what the plan is and if we are following it? We are often told God has a great plan for you. How do we know what the plan is and if we are following it. So this morning we turn our attention to try and understand that question, and to understand that we're going to turn to Jeremiah chapter 29, actually where there's a verse in here that's oftentimes shared that probably gives that picture and gets us thinking in that direction. So try to understand what God is saying to us. I invite you to open up to Jeremiah chapter 29. There's a lot of big words here in the first 14 verses, names that I'm not sure anyone can pronounce correctly, but we'll go at it. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah, the queen and mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisha, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It is said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we turn our hearts this morning to your word, I ask that you would grant us understanding. Also pray this morning, Lord, that you would grant us a vision of the life that you've called us to. Pray this morning that you would Speak to us and grant us practical tools for discerning the plan that you have for us. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the revelation that you give to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, where should I live? When should I retire? Is probably the question many of you are asking this morning. What pants should I wear today? Where should we go to eat tonight? Should I volunteer? For this new opportunity. What should I do with my troubled young son or daughter? A bundle of decisions that we are making every single day, every single week. We are constantly faced with decisions. What should we do? Where should we go? And in all of those decisions, many of us probably have somewhere in, my, in our minds: what is God's will concerning this matter? What does God desire? That I do? Where does God desire that I go? Many decisions, and many times in the midst of all of these decisions, we seek to understand the will of God. At the exact same time as that we're trying to make many decisions, we're also dealing with reality. This last week, we got a harsh reminder of reality. Reality is pain, reality is struggle. Reality is that things in the world are not as they should be. And yet in the midst of that reality, we have this promise that we hold on to from God or that we believe God has given to us, that God has for us a plan, a plan for good, a plan for a hope, a plan for a future. Yet when we hear the promise that God has a good plan for our lives, and we also then at the same time look at reality, There's a collision. In the midst of that collision, there should probably be a struggle. If God has a good plan for our lives, how could God possibly take down my home? If God has a good plan for our lives, how can he possibly send hundreds of thousands of refugees fleeing from Iraq? Does God have a good plan for our lives? Does God actually have a future and a hope for us? Maybe you've actually received the card from the local bookstore that says on the cover, God has a plan for you, a plan for good, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. It's a card that goes out to many of our graduates. But then our graduates hit the real world. It's a card that you probably actually could never give to three-quarters of the world. Because three-quarters of the world would say, the good life, this is a hope, this is a future. So what does God have for us? And what is this promise in Jeremiah that we oftentimes quote? Well, to understand this promise from Jeremiah 29.11, we have to understand what's going on around Jeremiah 29.11. The prophet Jeremiah has been sent by God to bring a message to God's people the nation Israel the challenge is is that the nation Israel has been sent into exile exile is something that's pretty unfamiliar to us exile is very simply when one nation comes takes another nation with them away from their homeland and back to their land it'd be kind of like if north dakota came and got us and took all of us from south dakota up to north dakota and said to us, you cannot return to your home. We would be exiled to North Dakota. Eugene Peterson, pastor and translator of many different Bible translations, says that an exile is an experience of dislocation. Everything is out of joint and does not work the way it's supposed to. Exile is an experience of dislocation. In other words, you're in a place where you're ideally not supposed to be. Well, this is the experience of the people Israel as they receive this word from God. They're in exile. In other words, what's happened is this. They've been taken by their enemies, by Babylon. And maybe if you remember back to some of your Old Testament Sunday school days, when you think of Babylon, Babylon is one of the chief enemies of God's people. They're not exactly friends. And then we read the New Testament, even in the book of Revelations, there's some picture of Babylon, and Babylon is always the picture for evil. Well, now this is where God's people are located. They've been taken into exile. They're living here. And now God is supposed to bring them a message of hope, a message of encouragement. But before we get to the where it says, I know the plans I have for you, notice what God says to the people that are in exile. Look with me, if you would, down to verse 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. So God sends Jeremiah, sends a letter to the people that are in exile. In verse 5, He gets into the practical stuff and He says, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. In other words, God is basically saying to them, Settle down. You're not going anywhere for a while. Well, how can this be? God, don't You have a good plan for our lives? God... Aren't you going to take your people back to the land that you gave them? But what does God say to them? Settle down. You're going to be there for a while. So this good plan that God has for them is actually a plan to remain in exile. Not for nine months, not for seven years, but for 70 years. And 70 years, as most of us know it, is what? Life. The majority of the people are what? Going to spend their whole lives in exile. They're going to spend their whole lives under the authority of a different nation, under the authority of God's enemy. And what does God say to them? Stay there. Plant yourself in that community. But not only that, let's go on and see what he says next. Verse 6 and 7. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. What's one of the chief worries of any parent? Who their son or daughter is going to marry. Right? A lot of moms talk about how they prayed and prayed that their son would find someone that would settle them down a little bit or someone that would just marry them in general. It's one of the biggest concerns, right? Why? Because you know it can get really difficult in marriage. You know how difficult marriage is. So therefore, you really pray that God would bring someone into your son or daughter's life, right? You want the best of the best. What does God say to his people here? Take wives and have sons and daughters and then take wives for your sons. Don't go back to Israel and find the cream of the crop that are part of God's people. What? Right there in Babylon, from God's enemies, find some wives. Find a wife wife for your sons. But God, don't you have a good plan for our lives? Don't you have a hope And a future for. Don't you want our kids to marry in the nation Israel only? What's God doing here? Let's look on. Verse 7. Here comes the big but. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. So build houses get settled in, take wives, reproduce, build big families, and then what? In the midst of all this, seek the welfare of the city. In other words, seek the good of the city. Seek that the city would be blessed. So God is telling his people, hey, stay in that city with your enemies, but don't just get by or avoid persecution. What? Seek that your enemies would have a good city. God's people are supposed to seek the best of that city. They're actually supposed to what? Pray for the welfare of that city. These are people that came and took God's people from their cities. And now God is saying to his people, Hey, settle down, make families, and make the places where you are at better. But God, don't you have a future and a hope? Don't you have a good plan for our lives? Can you imagine if this was us? Well, God, don't you have a good plan for my life rather than sending me off to a refugee camp and leaving me in that refugee camp? And what does God say? Stay there. Seek what is good for that city. The plan that God has for our lives, has never proclaimed to us to be an easy plan. You see, we hear Jeremiah 29, 11. We hear it say, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare. Now, we take the word welfare and we translate that to mean good. It does mean good. It does mean welfare in the sense that we mean welfare. So we always say plans for good and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. And sometimes you'll see the word prosperity in there in some of the translations. So if you pull that sentence out and you tell us, us, our ears, that hey, Frank, I've got a good plan for your life. A plan where you're going to have it good, you're going to have it prosperous, and you're going to have hope. What do we hear when you hear those words? I hear easy. I hear money. I hear stability, right? In America, if you hear that word, good, prosperous, hope, future you're going to think what i'm going to have the good life and when i say to you do you have the good life well do you have a good job do you have a nice home do you have a retirement in place that to us would be the good life so when we hear those words from jeremiah that's where our mind would go to but that's not the picture at all that god is giving us in this passage of scripture God is promising nothing easy to his people here. He's actually doing the opposite. He's saying, What? Go live with your enemies and find a way to make those the best cities possible. I don't mean to burst anyone's bubble this morning. The goal this morning is not to scare everyone away from God, but we want to get a realistic picture of what God is promising to us. What is God actually promising? In a very simple sense, this is what God is saying to his people. Live the common life in an uncommon way, awaiting a glorious future. God is saying here through the prophet, live the common life in an uncommon way, awaiting a glorious future. That glorious future for the nation of Israel is being rebuilt but God is doing a little bit of a work on them. Notice with me, if you would, down to verse 14. <clears throat> verse 14, God says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you. If you have a pen with you, underline where I have driven you. Who sent the people into exile? God did. God took his people and put his people in harm's way. God took his people and forced them into living in the cities with their enemies. God did that. God did not allow it to happen. God did it. He was the cause behind it. But isn't this our good God who wants us to have a good life? A good life from his perspective is massively different than a good life from our perspective. God sends his people into exile and God demands that his people remain in exile until he brings them out of it. This is God's doing. This is God's desire. And as God sends them into it, what does he want them to do? If you look back with me at verse 5, 6, what we looked at before there. What are those things? Build a home, plant gardens, get married, have a family. What is that? That's the common life, right? That's just your common, everyday living. And that's what God wants his people to do. Sometimes when we think of being spiritual, we've spiritualized it so much. But if God's people were being spiritual, what would they be doing? Building homes, planting gardens, and having children. That's the good life. That's the common life that God wants them to do. But it's the common life lived what? Differently. Because if you look again with me at verse 7, as you're doing these things, what are you doing? But seek the welfare of the city where I sent you, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. So in other words, do the things that everybody else does. Everybody else has families. Everybody else has homes and gardens and farms. Do those exact same things, but you do them in a different way. Why? Because you're God's people. So in other words, God is saying, hey, live the common life in an uncommon way, awaiting a glorious future. And for some, that glorious future would never come here on earth for some they would die in exile but we're still called to live the common life in an uncommon way so what's God's plan for our lives we are often told God has a great plan for us well God's great plan is to live the common life in an uncommon way awaiting a glorious future Think with me if you would for a moment. We're not going to look at all the verses today, but let's turn our attention now to the New Testament because you might be thinking to yourself, okay, pastor, you're in the Old Testament. God was mean in the Old Testament. Think, think. Remember, we worship Jesus who's in the New Testament. God killed people in the Old Testament. We, we aren't there. Well, tell that to a couple people in the book of Acts who God struck dead in church. Same God. So what, let's think for a moment at what does God tell his disciples? What plan does God say he has for their lives? The only plan that God says that he has for his disciples' life is recorded for us really in the book of John where he's finishing up his message to his disciples and he basically says to them in John chapter 16, he says, hey, you're going to have troubles in this life, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So God tells his chief disciples and apostles, basically says to them, hey, your life, you got problems ahead. But guess what? I've overcome all of the greatest difficulties. But the fact that Jesus has overcome everything does not change the fact that what? His disciples experience great difficulty. All of his disciples still undergo persecution and famine and struggle, but yet they are awaiting a glorious future. God's plan for your life is to live the common life in an uncommon way, awaiting a glorious future. Think of the teaching of Jesus for a moment. We turn our attention to the Sermon on the Mount, where you could say is Jesus' most famous teaching ever. Jesus is laying out what he considers to be the blessed life. What does Jesus talk about on the Sermon on the Mount? relationships how you treat your enemies talks about all of those things and he finishes up each little segment of the sermon on the mount by saying something like but not so with you and then he goes into what would be happening with his disciples so he lays out the pattern of the world and then he goes in and says hey but it's going to be different with you in other words jesus is saying hey yes you're going to have enemies you're going to be in relationship with others the common life, but you're going to do the common life in an uncommon way. Christians should actually look a lot like the rest of society. We're no different. Go to work, have families, have homes. The difference is this, how we go to work. The difference is this, how we live in our families. The difference is this, how we use our money. We have the common life, but we do the common life in a very uncommon way. God has a plan for your life. That plan is the common life. If we look together through the rest of the New Testament, we'd come upon various places where the Apostle Paul would say something like this, Walk in the way of the Lord. Or hey, experience the will of God. And in each situation where he says the way of the Lord or experience the will of God, he always points to what? Sanctification or the pursuit of holiness. So whenever the Apostle Paul is talking about the will of God or walking down this path of life that God has for us, he never gets into things like where should I live? What should I do for a job? Who should I marry? When should I retire? Never touches it. All he focuses on is be holy as God is holy. What's God concerned about? God is concerned about our character. Now you might say, well, Pastor, so you're saying God doesn't care where we live or what we... Well, God cares. There's a difference between saying God cares and God has a demand that it's a specific thing. A lot of times when we think of God's plan for our lives, we think of a situation where it's what? Find to open the door, and hopefully, you get the right door. But God's plan for our life might be a little bit larger than that. That God's plan for our life is actually one of salvation, where we pursue holiness. In the midst of pursuing holiness, there are a bundle of different paths that we could take. Is God aware? Absolutely. We read this morning from Matthew chapter 10 about how God says, Hey, I know the very number of hairs on your head. When a sparrow falls, God knows. God knows all of the intimate details, but it does not say that God orchestrates all of the intimate details. Nor does it say that God has specific intimate details that we must follow. So the simple way of putting it is this. Are we robots? Are we puppets? Do we have strings attached to us? Or has God created us as free creatures and then redeemed us to love Him and to pursue Him and as free creatures go about making these decisions of where to live, when to work, where to work, who to marry. Does He create us to make those decisions not as a right or a wrong, but as an opportunity to live the common life in an uncommon way. The promise that God has a plan for your life is true. But that promise is maybe a little different than how we normally hear it. The plan that God has for your life is one of salvation. One of being his child. That does not necessarily mean that God has a plan for every intricate detail of your life. He knows every intricate detail, but there may not be a right or wrong to every intricate detail. Think of it this way. Think of what usually happens. Some of us are struggling with a decision. Oh, should we do this? Should I volunteer for, for that? And we don't know. And we're like, I don't know what God wants me to do. So I'm going to pray about it. So then we pray about it. We talk to some people. In the midst of all this, what's going on? We're filled with all of this anxiety of, well, what should I do? And, and worry. So in the midst of pursuing God's will over a practical decision, what has happened? We've fallen out of God's will by living a life of anxiety or worry. I don't say this in a less way, but maybe God doesn't care where you live. He just cares that where you live, you live worry-free. God's plan for your life is to live the common life in an uncommon way. So you're thinking to yourself, well, you're not really helping this morning. I've still got to go make all these decisions at the end of the day. Let me give four just kind of high-level things of how we discern God's plan, how we walk in the way of the Lord in our practical daily lives. Four things. First is this. A, know the plan. What I mean by that, know the plan. We have to understand God's overarching plan. Most of us, most people think that God's plan is this. Life on earth, Hopefully somebody accepts Jesus, punches their ticket to heaven, and gets to heaven. That's God's plan. God's plan is not that we get our ticket punched, get some insurance, and then someday escape through the flames and enjoy heaven. God's plan, overarching plan, is that we here on earth, creation would exhibit and display His glory. God's plan is that salvation would come to us today and His salvation would be exhibited today. All of Jesus' teachings are almost all about what? The here and now. How to live right now. God's overarching plan is that we become His people and live for His glory and bring about the restoration of the universe for Him. Everything we do needs to fit in that overarching plan that God's in the business of what? Recreating, transforming the world into His image. And it'll all happen at the return of Jesus. So we have to know that that's the overarching plan. Know the plan. That's the plan. Second thing we need to do if we're going to discern the will of God in our lives, B is this. We need to know the knowns. Know the knowns. What I mean by that is this. What has God clearly revealed to us? God has clearly revealed, for example, that we're supposed to speak truth. I need to know that. I need to have that ingrained in my life. So therefore, if I'm forced to make a decision about a job situation, and maybe in that job situation, I know if I make decision A, I'm going to be put in a compromising situation where I've been told, you know what, you just whatever it takes, get the deal done. Well, guess what? that goes against what? The knowns. So that makes that decision easy. It goes against the knowns. The known of what? I need to speak truth. We need to know the knowns. Keep the basics. We're so focused on the, on the practical and the visual that well, most of the time we've forgotten God's basic truth, the simple Ten Commandments. Do not covet. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Do we know the known? Things, the things that have been clearly revealed to us. That's what we can know with certainty. We need to know those things. Know the plan, know the knowns, and then see faith, faith, faith. If you're trying to discern what God wants or, or where to go, and if you think that, you know what, you're just gonna get, it's going to be real clear, you're wrong. It's not going to be real clear. It never has been in the history of the Bible, in the history of God's people, The plan has never been laid out with great clarity. Can you imagine the people in exile as they're getting taken to Babylon going, hey, uh, priests, where's the plan? Hey, priests, do you think you could pull out the strategic plan document and show us A, B, C, and D? There was no plan. All they did is walked by faith. Proverbs chapter 3. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs is in the Old Testament, comes after Psalm. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 and 7. Proverbs chapter 3, beginning with the fifth, fifth verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. When we're trying to discern the will of God, it's all about faith, faith, faith. What's clear from these verses here? What's clear from this is that if we understand it with our own capabilities, what? It's probably not the will of the Lord. Right here it says, Do not lean on your own understanding. With all of your education, with all of your smarts, hey, what? Don't lean on that understanding. Trust in the Lord. In other words, sometimes God's ways are not going to make any sense in man's eyes. Actually, a majority of the time, God's ways are not going to make any sense. Verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. If it's clear and it's completely understandable to you, there's a really good chance it's not God's will. Because what? You don't have to walk by faith then. In Hebrews chapter 11, what does it tell us? How do we please God? We please God by walking by faith. Not trusting in our own understanding. Not trusting in a clear document. But trusting in God Himself. If you want to follow the will of God, It begins by knowing the plan of God, the big plan. It begins by knowing the knowns. It's all about faith, faith, faith. And then finally, it's all about day-to-day discipline. If you want to make decisions that are God-honoring, it's all about living the day-to-day discipline of being in God's Word, prayer, corporate worship, accountability with other followers, confession. Confession. Have you ever noticed how, when you read the Bible, it seems like they're always at the temple? It talks in the book of Acts of how they gathered at the temple daily. And if you go to any other culture, a lot of other cultures outside of Europe and the United States, do you know how often those cultures worship? (laughs) Like, all the time. If you're a part of another culture in Sioux Falls, for example, if you're a Spanish congregation in Sioux Falls, or if you're an African congregation in Sioux Falls, they don't gather together for one hour on Sunday morning. They get together on Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon. Not for an hour each gathering, but for what? Four hours! And I'm not exaggerating. Thing. Why? It's part of the routine and the discipline of the spiritual life. That there's these disciplines of gathering with God's people. And when we're living in those disciplines, then what? Then we can trust our gut. Then we, then we can go with instinct when making decisions. But when we're not living the day-to-day disciplined life, how can we possibly trust what we're feeling or even what we're thinking if we're not aligned with God on a day-to-day basis? You want to walk? in the will of God, you want to experience the plan of God's life for you, it begins by going about the day-to-day disciplines. Now, they are disciplines. So if I go out and exercise tomorrow and I get done exercising and say, well, geez, I want to lose seven pounds. I didn't lose anything today. I'm done. What would you respond? You would respond by saying what? Well, that's just foolish. You're not going to lose all seven pounds by one day of exercise. What does it take? Discipline. Day over day. The same is true in our spiritual lives. It takes day-to-day discipline to get ourselves aligned with the ways of God and God's truth. If you want to experience the will of God in your life, it begins by developing a day-to-day discipline of Scripture reading, prayer, confession, corporate worship, community, slash accountability. God has a plan for your life. That plan is to live the common life in an uncommon way, awaiting a glorious future. God's word to the people of Israel through Jeremiah was simply this. Build homes, farm, and have families. But do it all in a way that everybody benefits. Isn't that ultimately Jesus' message as well? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Second one, love your neighbor as yourself. So everything we do in life is what? To love God and to love our neighbor. So we're basically doing the same thing that the people of Israel were doing. Building homes, farming, having kids, what? All for the benefit of our neighbors. So that our neighbors can experience peace, love, joy, and God's grace. God has a plan for your life. Live the common life in an uncommon way that would glorify Him because we're ultimately awaiting His return. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks that you brought this word from Jeremiah to your people. Pray that you give us the ability to understand it in our lives and to apply it in our homes in our workplaces, in our church. Lord, thank you for the clarity that you give us in your word regarding who you want us to be. I pray that you'd be with each person this morning, that you'd give each of us the necessary discipline to follow each day and to experience your grace and the leading of your Holy Spirit. God, we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.